It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. I am just drowning in good stuff today. There's a little rock and roll debate that I started on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we'll get to the melodrama at ABC, uh, which I've avoided until now, but it's kind of passed over the threshold to become real news. Uh, and man, I am getting all this name calling on Twitter today because of a column that I wrote, which we will get to. You can look it up on Fox. Um laying out Trump's latest defense in the whole suspend some provisions of the Constitution so he can be either reinstated as president or get a do-over election, neither of which is remotely contemplated by anything in the Constitution. Uh, And, you know, some of the MAGA people are like, you're a moron, you suck, you shouldn't have this job. Go follow Chris Wiles to CNN. I mean, just, you know, pure vitriol because they think everything their guy says is right. And I'm just reporting the facts based on his own words, including the latest pushback from Donald Trump. And, you know, what drives me crazy is that people just respond to the tweet. So, you know, I can only fit so much into 180 character tweet. So I summarize a little bit of in the first tweet, I summarized a little bit of um, what Trump said in the original uh, business about the Constitution. In the second tweet, giving his side, I summarized his attack on the media. We'll get to it in just a second, uh, a couple of minutes. So, um, but they don't click through to see that the entire two postings are quoted in full. And if I were Elon Musk, I would make that illegal. You can't do it. You got to at least skim the column or the video, but no, people just respond to the tweet because they're lazy. And then there's one guy who says, you know, I, I, I suck and I shouldn't have this job because I'm a stenographer for MAGA. I mean, here is a, a column that by any stretch of the imagination is pretty critical because it's pretty unprecedented what Donald Trump has said and his proposed remedies. Anyway, we'll get to all that uh, today, as you know is the Georgia runoff. And there's been a whole spate of stories about Republicans are glum, Republicans have given up on Herschel Walker, Republicans uh, realize that Raphael Warnock is going to win. And I think it's probably at most a two-point race at this point, and a lot of the fundamentals do seem to favor Senator Warnock. But in an election like this, where you're asking people to turn out again a month later, there's nothing else on the ballot. Yes, there was a tremendous um, early vote, and black vote is way up, but both candidates are black, obviously. Um, who knows what could happen? I mean, who knows? I wouldn't be shocked if Herschel Walker wins and everybody would go back and say, oh, you know, we were too optimistic or pessimistic or whatever. I mean, I don't think he's running a good campaign, talking about vampires and werewolves and so forth, and literally keeping the press... 20 feet away so the reporters can't shout questions, but it's going to be close. And anybody who says they know that Warnock would, will win, you know, is maybe sort of sniffing the momentum. I suspect he probably will, but it all depends on who goes out to vote. 
Uh, sad to see the passing of Kirstie Alley at 41. She won two Emmy Awards, one of them for Cheers, uh, you know, the show about the bar in Boston, which she's most uh, famous for. Uh, later in life, she, you know, had struggles with her weight and she made controversial political statements, but everybody knows Kirstie Alley. I mean, she just, um, even when she hasn't been, you know, starring in some show or some movie, and John Travolta and others are putting out these tremendous tributes to her, Valerie Bertinelli, uh, and it's just sad news. Uh, speaking of Elon, uh, he did an, another chat yesterday, this Twitter Spaces thing that nobody seems to know except the insiders, and he takes questions mostly from insiders. Um, he said, in response to a question, I do not have any suicidal thoughts. If I committed suicide, it's not real. Um, he says he is worried about his personal safety because of the white-hot debate and attacks on him over Twitter. Frankly, the risk of something bad happening or literally even being shot, is quite significant. I'm definitely not going to be doing any open-air car parades, let me put it that way. It's not that hard to kill me if somebody wanted to, so hopefully they don't. Maybe I should be more worried than I am, but I think generally if you do right by people, by the people, you have the people on your side. Um, look, he's the world's richest man. He could afford a lot of security. I, I'm not minimizing what he's saying, and this is, again, in response to questions. Um, so also, he said there are more smoking guns coming out about censorship under the previous regime at Twitter, um, like the Hunter Biden laptop thing. And whether, regardless of whether you thought that was like the most important story or inside baseball or really, really big news or nothing burger, he promised a, a follow-up saying it would be the next day. Then he said, I mean, we need a few days. And now he seems to have moved on. So that's all we're going to get, apparently, on the Hunter Biden laptop situation. Um, look, I think it's not only entertaining uh, for him and makes him look better if he can dump all over the old management, but it drives traffic. I mean, people are engaged in this stuff. So we'll see what he actually produces. John Bolton, uh, who left as uh, President Trump's national security advisor, now says he may run for president because, you know, he thinks Trump has lost it. But, you know, don't these people understand if Bolton runs and Nikki Haley runs and Ron DeSantis runs and, you know, Mike Pompeo runs and Mike Pence runs, they're just handing the nomination to Trump. He may just get it anyway. But the only thing I think that defeats Donald Trump is a one-on-one, -on -one. maybe two-on-one, -on -one, but, you know, five, six, seven people run. Forget about it, as they say in New York. Um, some good and bad news on the COVID cases, which I watch like a hawk. Um, finally, the number of deaths per day, and these are all undercounts, I think, well, particularly on new cases, is 250. It had been, you know, 400, got down to 300, now it's 250. That's good news. The bad news is that the number of reported new cases is about 50,000 a day, and that's a substantial increase. And again, that number undoubtedly is an undercount, but classic good news, bad news situation. New Zealand, I don't do much news from New Zealand, but New Zealand says it's going to require Google and Facebook um, to pay news publishers for content. And there are other countries that have done this, namely Australia. And there's legislation introduced in Canada saying, look, basically, 
places like Google and Facebook rip off news that costs money to produce. And um, it's not fair. Here's a New Zealand broadcasting minister guy. Um, that big digital platforms like Google and Meta get to host and share local news for free. It costs to produ produce news. It's only fair they pay. Uh, Facebook's not happy about this. It says it does negotiate with publishers for payment without government intervention. We shall see. All right. Enough futzing around here. Story number one. So let me start with the way that television is playing this. Yesterday on Fox and Friends, Steve Ducey, said if the Hunter Biden laptop story, I mean, it did come out. It was published by the New York Post. It couldn't be shared on Twitter, and it was sort of minimized on Facebook. Ultimately, would it have changed the outcome of the presidential? Well, obviously, Donald Trump felt so because he felt, he said yesterday the Constitution should be thrown out, which is crazy. This is the show that Donald Trump, as a, you know, businessman, reality TV guy, used to call into every week. Today on Fox News, Fox and Friends, excuse me, uh, Ducey was taking issue with something that Ted Cruz had said, and he quoted Matt Taibbi, the guy who has gotten unfairly beat up for being the person who Musk handed it over to, that Taibbi had written, although several sources recalled hearing about a general warning from federal enforcement, federal law enforcement that summer, about possible foreign hacks, there's no evidence that I have seen of any government influence in the laptop story. In fact, that might have been the problem, writes Taibbi. So according to the guy who Elon Musk gave all the secrets to, he said, I don't see federal law enforcement involved in the laptop story at all. And Brian Kilmeade took exception to that. Um, and that's part of the debate. Okay, Mark Thiessen, uh, conservative Washington Post columnist who and Fox News contributor who um, has broken with Trump before on the Kanye stuff and over January 6th, now says with Trump's latest invoking of the Constitution that Trump has repudiated his entire legacy. Starts off the column by saying all the great things that he thinks that President Trump accomplished. He goes on to say, I'm sorry, but this is bat guano crazy. It should be rejected and repudiated by every self-respecting conservative. It's time for Trump supporters to acknowledge a sad but undeniable truth. Trump is spinning out of control. Yes, his presidency was filled with historic accomplishments and he was treated unfairly by critics in Congress and the media. But since the election, says Thiessen, something has snapped. He's descended into a spiral of conspiracy theories and personal grievances. He's surrounded himself with the political dregs. He mentions Kanye West. Trump blessed Supreme Court justices he appointed because they will not do his bidding from the bench. And now, in calling for the termination of the Constitution and his reappointment to the presidency, he's apparently lost touch with reality. This is not the liberal media, folks. These are people who love Donald Trump and now feel like they have to call it out. Washington Examiner has a piece about uh, there was no constitutional provision for giving the presidency to someone who claims to be the rightful winner. Um Here's a typical exchange. I'm sorry, let me take a break. Here's a typical exchange on Anderson Cooper's CNN show last night. Anderson, not exactly pulling his punches, says, it's like having a drunk relative who yells out obscenities or incredibly inappropriate things, and you don't know what to do about them, and people just ignore them. Soon he'll be wandering around with an onion tied to his belt, talking about movies used to call a nickel, cost a nickel. 
All right, well, I mean, Anderson has been anti-Trump for a long time. But he has uh, John Brabender, veteran Republican strategist, who I've interviewed many times on the show. Does Trump still have your support? Braden said, Braden says, excuse me, as most Republicans do, I strongly disagree with Trump. And the more fundamental question is why he's going down these paths that are not particularly good messaging. Maybe because he believes them, John, says Anderson. The reason he's going down these paths, he must really believe them and not believe in democracy or autocracy, says Allison Camerata on the show. Are you ready to walk away is my question. The president is still fighting the results of the 2020 election instead of looking forward. It's a horrible message for trying to win it back in 2024. So Braybread is being pretty critical here. Sure, would he have your support, says Camerata. Um, Trump's advisors couldn't be telling him to do this. He's losing support, like yours. Braybender said voters are looking for a candidate who will, quote, provide a more hopeful vision, an articulate vision, and week by week, he seems to go down these rabbit holes and have people scratching their head and saying, what is he talking about? What is the benefit to him? That's the other thing people are trying to figure out. Where is the strategic logic? Allison, yeah, yeah, I'm going to take that as a maybe. So, look, the reason he is not saying I, you know, denounced Donald Trump is that it's possible Trump wins the nomination and Bray Bender, as a veteran Republican, feels he has to back him or at least not denounce him. I do not know. Lisa Murkowski, who voted for Trump's impeachment, independent senator from Alaska who caucuses with the Republicans, suggesting the termination of the Constitution is not only a betrayal of our oath of office, it's an affront to the Republic. So let me now get to the Trump pushback, because he knows he's taking a beating, and this is a very defensive uh, true social post that he put up late yesterday. I shall quote it in full for the skeptics. The fake news, wherever we heard that phrase before, okay, the fake news is actually trying to convince the American people that I said I wanted to terminate the Constitution. This is simply more disinformation and lies, all caps, just like Russia, 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 all caps, and all of their other hoaxes and scams, all caps. What I said was, and this is the part where he doubles down, and I'm quoting his words. What I said was, when there is a massive and widespread fraud and deception, all caps, as has been irrefutably proven in the 2020 presidential election, steps must immediately be taken to right the wrong, all caps, only fools would disagree with that and accept stolen elections. MAGA. Okay, so let's just deconstruct that for half a second. Um, did Donald Trump say that he wanted to terminate the Constitution? He said that uh, because of, remember, this is all about the Twitter findings. That's what sparked this. The Twitter findings on Democrats getting their way more and complaining to delete tweets on Twitter. But again, I'll just repeat for those who you know, have lives and don't follow this that closely. Twitter decided on its own and made up, the, made up the excuse of hacked materials, which turned out not to be true, to block the Hunter Biden laptop story in the final weeks of the 2020 campaign. It wasn't a request from Joe Biden. There were later requests from the Biden campaign to delete pornographic images of Hunter Biden sitting in a 
uh, bathtub, smoking dope or crack or whatever he was doing. Um, and those, I think, were granted. Okay, so he says, it's fake that I said I wanted to terminate the Constitution. What the original Post said was, all rules and regulations must be terminated, including those in the Constitution. So after he's saying it's Russia, 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 it's just a hoax and so forth, he then comes back, without mentioning the Constitution again, says that fraud and deception has been irrefutably proven, and steps must be taken to right the wrong. So he's still calling for either a do-over election or his magical reinstatement in the White House, evicting Joe Biden, winner of the Electoral College, He's just not mentioning the Constitution. So he hasn't backed off at all. But he's blaming the press. And look, the press deserves a lot of blame. But And look, are, are the media trying to hang this around the neck of the Republican Party with all these interviews? Yeah. So you can criticize that. That's all right. But there is no mention in any provision of the Constitution for anything other than a presidential election every four years. Years. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. All right, story number two. I don't usually pay much attention to the time person of the year because, you know, I think it's a lot of hype and a way to sell magazines. More power to them. Okay. But so now, um, the people who run this for a time, the executive editor, Ben Goldberger, was on Morning Joe yesterday to reveal the shortlist. You know, just a way to gin up attention. Um, The shortlist includes Elon Musk, Ron DeSantis, and Liz Cheney. And... Mika Brzezinski said, you know, you shouldn't do Musk again because he, you did him last year. I'd forgotten that he was person of the year. And nobody's won it in two consecutive years since Nixon. Um, then she said some of these names are placeholders, including DeSantis. Ron DeSantis makes no sense to me, she said. I guess you could argue that Ron DeSantis might be person of the year next year. But right now, yeah, he's a Florida governor who won a tremendous victory. And is being talked about, hasn't committed, to challenging Donald Trump. Well, DeSantis made the short list, said uh, this time editor, because he's a front runner for the Republican Party, and he won a decisive victory in Florida. Okay, so then Jonathan Lemire comes on and says, no, the person of the year should be Vladimir Zelensky. I mean, the bravery of this guy and his countrymen pushing back an invasion, a brutal invasion by the Russians that everyone thought would be over in days. And now, actually, the tide has turned. And Zelensky has been able to, and his forces, have been able to recapture uh, all that land along the eastern border, Kyrgyzstan and so forth, that the, that the Russians had claimed they had annexed. Um, but Goldberger says... Um, Putin wasn't on the list because the invasion exposed his lack of influence and Zelensky apparently is not. Here's the reality. 
The reality is, of course, given the stakes of the biggest, most brutal land war in Europe since World War II, that Vladimir Zelensky has led and rallied his people to resist at great cost and huge numbers of casualties, of course he should be the person of the year to the extent that means anything. But that wouldn't sell a lot of copies, and it wouldn't be that controversial. So it's not in time's interest, and therefore it's not going to happen. That leads me very nicely into story number three. Strong majority of Americans continue to support sending arms and economic aid to Ukraine, uh, according to this Washington Post write-up. But Americans are divided over whether Washington should push Ukraine to reach a negotiated peace as soon as possible. And I understand this because this war fatigue, this war is now dragged on since February. And I think people, you know, some people are understandably saying you know, is there an endless blank check here? Now, this was done, this is a survey by the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. More than two-thirds back supplying Ukraine with weapons and economic assistance. About three-quarters support accepting Ukrainian refugees and sanctioning Russia. Republican backing for aid to Ukraine has slipped. 55% saying they support sending military aid compared with 68% in July and 80% in March, when the war was just getting underway. Half of Republicans favored providing uh, economic assistance last month, compared with three-quarters back in March. So, how much money are we talking about? Well, the uh, U.S. has just completed the latest $400 million package, and that brings the total U.S. military assistance to Ukraine to nearly $20 billion since President Biden took office. Sounds like a lot of money. There's always a great temptation. Well, why can't we spend that money here until we have needs at home? Yes, but if Russia was able to complete the takeover of Ukraine, uh, what would that mean for NATO and democracy? I mean, this is not just out of the goodness of our hearts. We have an absolute vested interest. Um, But clearly, Republican fervor for this has dwindled. And... um, it's going to get a lot more attention with Republicans taking over the House. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. All right, number four. I had deliberately held off on this story because I thought it was sort of a bullshit story. But now it's having real-world consequences. You have probably heard about uh, the two anchors of the third hour of Good Morning America, GMA3. T.J. Holmes and Amy Roback. The Daily Mail spent an enormous amount of resources following them, taking photos of them to prove, air quotes, that they're having an affair. And the reason I'm talking about it now is that not only, you know, is it in the New York Times, Washington Post, and so forth, but ABC News took them off the air this week. And that's the kind of thing that's impossible to ignore. ABC News President Kim Godwin uh, made the announcement yesterday uh, during the sort of staff call saying the relationship has become a internal and external distraction, according to sources cited by the New York Times. She said the relationship between Holmes and Roback is not in violation of company policy. She didn't say how long they'd be off the air, whether they'll return at all to the program. She didn't say whether they would lose any pay. 
I'm asking that we stop whispering about it in the hallways, Kim Goffman quoted as saying. So the Daily Mail story sparked this tabloid feeding frenzy. And first of all, there's no supervisory relationship here. Okay? So this is not a question of, you know, as happened with Jeff Zucker, who lost his job essentially for not telling HR that he was having a, a sexual relationship with a subordinate, a high-ranking subordinate, um, and they both ended up losing their jobs. Now, in this case, according to this piece in the Times, the representative for T.J. Holmes and Amy Robach said last week they had been close friends for many years, but this relationship started over the past few months after they separated from their respective spouses in August. They had not told anyone, even at ABC, because they were waiting until they were both divorced. Now, you can buy that or not buy that, whether the relationship actually started earlier. Um, But at the same time, you know, if they're separated from their spouses and they start a relationship, yeah, it's not a violation of company policy. And, you know, does it deserve, I mean... All this treatment. Okay, there's more. Here's the Variety write-up saying uh, viewers have analyzed their every word on camera to see if anyone, either one was making a reference to Discovery. Um, this third hour of GMA makes a lot of money, generating uh, more than $40 million in advertising, according to this uh, Variety story. And the Variety's all story also says, look, this is not the first time this has happened. I mean... At Morning Joe, Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski, as Variety says, were had a romance, kept it hidden for some time, and then they got married. And the marriage was celebrated, and I like both of them. Um, but both had been married to other people. So it's always a question of timing. Now, here's a New York Post story. Um... Some sources say it began, the romance began earlier. Others, sources close to the anchors, insist the affair began in August when they separated from their respective spouses, Marilee Fiebig and Andrew Hsu. Uh, the New York Post is saying, I think this has been disputed, that this has not gone del- down well with Robin Roberts. Uh, one insider quote is saying she's very religious and uh, doesn't like this kind of scandal t- tainting the show. Uh, New York Post, page six, previously reported that T.J. Holmes earlier was involved with cheating on his wife with another ABC staffer. I don't know the details of this. Page six reported that he had a three-year affair with GMA producer Natasha Singh, which we're told started in 2016. Uh, This is, uh, if true, this is a fascinating little dynamic. At the time, both T.J. Holmes and Natasha Singh allegedly confided in Amy Roback about their infidelity. Amy was the person they went to to talk about their affair and marriages. Then, uh, T.J. Holmes' wife was blindsided about the new alleged romance with Amy Roback. Uh, Her divorce is almost finalized following a rocky marriage, according to page six. So that's all I need to say about this. But again, 
you know, given the fact that they've been taken off the air and it's not clear for how long and it's not clear if they're coming back, this is legitimate news. I do think it's unfortunate that they've been held up as, you know, it's become this absolute tabloid feeding frenzy. Understandable in some ways, but in, in other ways, really unfair, I think, to these two people. Okay, number five. The Atlantic has a piece about hypocrisy and the uh, crypto scandal. Uh, Congressman Tom Emmer, Republican, who was one of the strongest advocates for crypto in Congress, uh, when Sam Bankman-Fried and his FTX firm collapsed, uh, Congressman Emmer went on to say that this was a failure of government oversight and regulatory procedures. And regulators should have uh, spotted the FTX scam or collapse or weakness or whatever you want to call it. And he called out the chairman of the SEC, Gary Gensler, saying the SEC was working out backdoor deals with people doing nefarious things. Um, However, in March... Back in March, Emmer was one of eight congressmen who wrote a letter to SEC Chairman Gensler complaining that the commission was overstepping and unnecessarily harassing cryptocurrency firms by having its enforcement division ask them for information about their businesses, including FTX. So he's a big crypto booster and trying to give the SEC a slap on the wrist or even asking questions about FTX. And then when it collapses... He goes on TV and says, oh, this is an outrage. The government regulators should have done more. Wowza. Uh, and of course, keep in mind that Bankman Fried was a big donor to the Democratic Party. He now says he made dark money, money contributions to the Republican Party. He didn't want that to be known, he said, because he thought the media would turn on him. If that conception is true, what does that say? Ted Cruz insisted last year Congress shouldn't regulate something we don't yet understand now accuses the Biden administration of being, quote, complicit in, quote, fraud. Now, plenty of Democrats in Congress, including uh, especially Kirsten Gillibrand, were also boosterish or a credulous attitude toward crypto. And some of the media's coverage of FTX's disintegration, says The Atlantic, has arguably been soft on Bankman-Fried, who, as I have said, used other people's money to get rich, to take out a loan for himself. There's self-dealing here. Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders actually uh, did push for regulation. Okay. Now let me just talk a little bit about the rock and roll business. So I've done a sort of an actual deep dive on this. Which are the best pure harmony songs in classic rock? And Not the songs that I like best, not the best songs produced by a group, but the best pure harmony. And here's the list I came up with, and other people are making other suggestions. Number one, The Beatles. The song is Because, not one of their better-known songs, but it starts out, the whole song is just John, Paul, and George singing three-part harmony with... uh, and that's it. And they tracked it three times, so it's actually nine-part harmony. And it's just, a, it's gorgeous in the blending of their voices. Again, it's not, you know, Lady Madonna or Hey Jude or Abbey Road Side 2, but because. My number two pick, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Helplessly Hoping. 
Other people liked uh, Sweet Judy Blois. I looked at that. It has some very good harmonies. I mean, there's a lot of other songs I could have picked. Helplessly Hoping starts off with David, Steve, Stephen, and Graham just singing harmony. The whole song is three-part harmony with an acoustic guitar. That's it. Number three, Grateful Dead. I don't usually think of the Grateful Dead as an incredible harmony group, but Box of Rain, if you go back and listen to it, is, again, driven by this multiplicity of voices, not just Jerry Garcia. Uh, What was my order again? Let me think. Oh, number four, The Eagles. And there I went back and forth because they have a lot of great harmony songs, but I picked Already Gone because once the harmonies kick in, they sort of carry the rest of the song. And I'm not going to give you my rendition because I could probably sing a little harmony, but sitting here behind this microphone, not so much. Number five, I mean, I I had to include a Fleetwood Mac song giving the uh, untimely passing of Christine McVie. Even though most of the harmonies were just the two women, um, Christine McVie and, of course, Stevie Nicks, and sometimes there'd be one of the guys singing along as well. And for that, I came up with Say You Love Me because it starts out, I think, with Stevie, and then once it kicks in... There's, it's just the the, the pure beauty of these two distinct female voices, apparently just were the best of friends and loved each other, um, takes over. And then number six, the group America, which is a very good harmony group. And for America, it was Ventura Highway. Ventura Highway, all right, I said I wasn't going to do that. So already I've gotten, you know, yeah, but I like this song better, or I like that song better, or other later, more progressive groups that I would would or would not necessarily uh, put under classic rock. But that's what's fun about this, you know? Take a little break from politics and do some rock and roll. Thanks for rocking and rolling with me. Always appreciate the time where I can... Uh, Share my innermost thoughts about everything from Elon Musk to the Constitution. I'm kind of fond of the Constitution, which is why I think Trump's comments are such a big friggin' story. And everything in between. I will be back here tomorrow, and we'll have even more Media Buzz Meter. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.